Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Tucked away halfway up Shangkwang Road in Happy Valley is the Jewish Cemetery, first set up in 1855. The people buried there provide a fascinating insight into the Jewish community over the decades. Over the next two programmes, Howard Elias and April Kaminsky tell me about the lives of those buried at the cemetery and also educate me on some of the traditions of a Jewish burial. I'm Howard Elias. I'm a board member of the Jewish Historical Society of Hong Kong and I also look after the Jewish cemetery as part of my uh, community service for uh, the Jewish community here. And I'm April Kaminsky and I'm also a board member for the Jewish Historical Society of Hong Kong. Well, thank you both for coming out today. It uh, looks as if rain is threatening. We may need to go inside in a little while. But uh, here we are in Happy Valley, halfway up San Kwong Road. And uh, here, the Jewish cemetery has been here how long, Howard? Well, according to the plaque we have right here, it's been here since 1855. And the interesting thing is there's no... Uh, you can't see it from the street. All you see from the street is the chapel. So there are people who live in Happy Valley, one street over, that don't even know that this place exists. What's your interest in Jewish history? Oh, well, I'm Jewish, I guess. That's the start. I don't know. I, I, how I got involved with looking after the cemetery was about eight, nine years ago. Somebody in the community, a long-standing member, came to me and said, I want you to look after the cemetery. And I was, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And I, after a lot of pushing, I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And now I actually enjoy it. I shouldn't say that I enjoy it, but I, I do because they don't complain here. And you're also preserving the the Jewish history within Hong Kong. So can you tell me about 1855? um, Do you know what the first grave was here? Well, we actually don't. What we think are the first graves are right behind us here. There's about four or five of them here that are unmarked. They were probably marked, but the markings have since fallen off or eroded away. Um, In the, the row right behind you by the wall, we have the earliest known record is from 1857. So I would assume because the, the, the memorial plaque here was dedicated in 1855, I would assume some of these unmarked graves here are from 1855. And some of them look quite small. Yeah, there's, there's some children's graves here. And, and I always say that this is a microcosm of the history of Hong Kong. Not only did, uh, you know, back then there were epidemics coming through all the time. There was malaria, there was typhoid, and it hit the Jewish community just the way it hit everybody else here. Uh, people here died very young. Now, the fact that the cemetery here was set up in 1855, is that a direct reflection of when the Jewish community was starting to come to Hong Kong? Well, most definitely. Whenever a Jewish community is set up anywhere in the world, uh, two things have to happen. One is they build a synagogue, and the other is they build a cemetery. And I just want to say very briefly about the the plaque here. This was, um, I, I can actually read what it says. It's in Hebrew, but I'll read it in English. It says, For the souls who have departed this life for their master in the holy community of Hong Kong, may God protect it. And this land is a gift of our mistress, the queen, Victoria, doesn't say Victoria, but I'll talk about that in a second. May God bless her, given with payment in full a sum of money that was necessary for construction by David Sassoon in the year 615. And I'll talk about that in a second too. May he see offspring and have long life. Now, about Victoria, so it doesn't say Victoria. And in fact, in Hebrew, it says ifatia, which which sort of means pretty. It's not. A, it's actually not a word, it, It's or it's not a word that we use today. But ifatia comes from yafe, which means pretty. So it's very strange that they would call her, you know, the, the pretty queen, the beautiful queen, rather than calling her Victoria. And the other interesting thing is, so... The, the, she wasn't that pretty, was she? Uh, look, I don't want to get into that one, right? <laughs> 
yes, on, on, on the, the inside. inside. Look, she gave the land to the cemetery, so she was very pretty. Exactly. So, and then the other thing it says the year is 615, which is the Hebrew calendar. Now, actually, it says in, in uh, Roman letters, 1855, Roman numerals, um, the Hebrew corresponding date was 5,615. I always say the Jewish community and the Chinese community are about the same age. And um, so they left off the five, the 5,000. So it says 615, but we know that it was 5,615, which was the Hebrew date. And the land uh, was given by, as you say, Queen Victoria as such, but, uh, you know, uh, funded presumably by David Sassoon. Right, funded by David Sassoon, and we, I, I'm not sure exactly what the lease arrangements are on this land. I think it's it's a 999-year lease, something like that. So who was David Sassoon? Well, David Sassoon was, was a very prominent member of the Jewish community and, uh, and very key to the development of, of Hong Kong back in the, in the middle uh, of the 1800s. So people might know Sassoon Road over by Hong Kong University and Queen Mary Hospital. That's David Sassoon. So uh, he also built synagogues um, across Southeast Asia, including our synagogue on Robinson Road. So he was a very big uh, benefactor to Jewish communities all over Asia. Originally came from Baghdad. He was one of the original Baghdadi traders who came here. So he was involved in what kinds of trade? Oh, am I allowed to say? I guess, well, back then they were involved in opium. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they all did back then. So, uh, yeah, he, he was an opium trader, and I think he did tea and other, other foodstuffs and uh, evolved from there. As you said, David Sassoon provided the initial funding right. uh, for the Jewish cemetery here in Happy Valley. But who are the, some of the, say, famous Jewish families that oh, are represented here? Well, we have a lot of famous people. Shall we, shall we walk? <laughs> okay. Now, what I also yes. find interesting looking around, you were showing me these unmarked graves at the beginning. They're actually above ground right. uh, graves. So again, this is, this is a reflection of what the community was. So the, the original Jewish inhabitants of the community here were from Baghdad. They followed a uh, customs which are called Sephardi customs. Sephardi comes from Spain. So these were Jews who were kicked out of Spain in 1492 and made their way east, not this far east, but to, you know, to uh, Iraq ultimately. And uh, so they followed Sephardi custom. And the Sephardi Party custom is to put the uh, the gravestone above ground. Later on in the history of Hong Kong, uh, when white Russians started coming to Hong Kong, there were Jewish white Russians coming. They follow Ashkenazi custom, which is Jews of Eastern Europe, and their tradition is to have uh, the the typical what we see today, the stone, uh, just the the headstone above ground. And so again, it's it's a it's a reflection of the community. Also, and I think let's see if we can see. There's one. There's there, there's a few things I can show you right here. Some of the graves around here have uh, Arabic in it. So these were the Iraqi Jews spoke Arabic and so their gravestones reflect that. We also have letters. Here's a good example. This, this letter right there, I know it means nothing to you, but this is a letter that we don't use anymore in Hebrew. It's a combination of two letters. Do you know this, April? It's a combination of two letters. It's an Aleph, which is like the A, and a Lamed, which is an L. And back then, when you had these two letters together, they combined it into one letter. So we don't do that today. So that's also a, a reflection of the time. Do you mind telling me what's your heritage? Oh, that's that's a good question because uh, well, I'm Canadian. My grandparents, uh, my four grandparents, come from came from Eastern Europe, but we believe that we originally came from Spain way back when, Spain and Portugal, way back when. <laughs> and that's what my brother in Toronto is doing all this research on us, and, and it, what he's finding it seems to show that we have uh, Spanish Portuguese heritage. Certainly, my name Elias is a is a Sephardi name. It's a name from 
from uh, Spain. Um, and it's very strange that I come, you know, my family, my, my nearest ancestors come from Eastern Europe. So how did we get a, a Spanish name living in Eastern Europe? And this is what my brother is researching right now. Okay, show me a few graves okay, then. Let's go over to the two canopies right here. So we have two marble canopies. Now this is typically not a Jewish thing. Um, if you go to Germany, you might see canopies. It's very, uh, it's very German, I would say. It's also very ostentatious. And you can see from our cemetery, our cemetery is anything but ostentatious. So this is, this is rather anachronous to have this here. But I can tell you the family is a name that will be very familiar to people. It's Belilios. And um, if you, you might have heard or, or your listeners might have heard of the Belilios uh, Girls' School. And that was started by Emmanuel um, Belilius, who is not buried here, by the way, but his wife and son are buried under these two canopies. He died in England uh, in 1905. I don't know if you've covered on one of your shows. There's an urban myth or legend about the cam about his camel. Do you know this story? Well, I know that it was a bit suicidal. That's the story I heard, that he, he lived on the peak, and this was before the days of the peak tram, and he rode a camel up to his home from Central. I guess his office was in Central. He rode a camel up north, up, up the hill to his home, and when the peak tram was built, the camel was so despondent it committed suicide by jumping off the peak. I don't know if that's true, but it makes for a good story. Indeed. <laughs> It's interesting having also grass underfoot when we're surrounded by uh, tower blocks all around. Is that the cricket club up there as well? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Hong Kong is what's the, the jockey club, right? The jockey oh, club right. is right there. Yeah, and then we have the the two chopstick uh, uh, apartment blocks overlooking us as well. It's amazingly quiet. It's like an oasis here. It's yeah. very peaceful here. The mosquitoes love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about uh, famous people. We have the Kaduri family here, and, and people know the Kaduris from the Peninsula Hotel, China Light and Power. So this is the great uncle of Michael Kaduri, who's the chairman of, of these two uh, companies. And so his name was uh, Sir Ellis Kaduri. Uh, he was a knight, uh, a knight bachelor. He was uh, he never married. So, so he's buried here. His brother, who's Michael's grandfather, is buried in Shanghai. And the story is that when during the Cultural Revolution, when the um, Jewish cemetery was bulldozed into oblivion, um, they kept the grave of uh, Eli Kaduri. So Ellis and Eli were brothers, and then Eli had two children, Horace and Lawrence, who were buried just uh, over there, and then... Uh, the third generation, ultimately. So they actually kept the grave in Shanghai? As, as far as I know. Do you know? I, yeah, as far as I know, the grave is still there. Yeah. But the, when they bulldozed it, that was what? To, to make room for other things? Or? Yeah, I assume apartment blocks or whatever. Yeah. How sad. Yeah. Cemetery in Harbin. Yeah, we and we, put them all facing the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, we went to we went to Harbin a few years ago, and there was a, a big Jewish community there from about 1895 to about 1945. I think the last Jew of Harbin died in 1963, and um, so the Jewish cemetery there was bulldozed as well. They allegedly moved what about 600 graves um, to a new location outside the city. Um, and they just put the graves hither and dither. We're all supposed to face in one direction. We're supposed to face towards Jerusalem. Even this, even this cemetery didn't follow that rule over the years, but generally most of our graves do face west um, towards Jerusalem. But in Harbin, they're facing every direction possible. And it's, it's, it's alleged that many of the graves in Harbin are empty. Now, do, are people still buried here? Yes, we have, a, uh, we have about one or two burials a year. So, uh, and what's involved in a Jewish burial? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> See, we have a burial society. Uh, I'm not part of that. I always say my responsibility here stops at the ground level. So uh, the body has to be cleaned. We have an area in the chapel here where the bodies are, are cleaned from head to toe, inside and out. And uh, usually the, uh, the funeral must take place uh, within 24 hours. Uh, in, the, in the case where uh, the immediate family is not able to attend, they might delay the, the funeral for a few days. Or also in, in the Sabbath or, or uh, festivals, we have to delay it until the next day as soon as those, those finish. And uh, we, have a, we have a grave up on the next level where it says um, the, uh, the internal organs of this gentleman are buried here. And we always thought that maybe he died in a fire or, or something like that. But we found some research in the, in the SCMP. We found an article in the SCMP about when he died, which was about 50-odd years ago. He was on a cruise ship. And they couldn't, the, the community couldn't get to his family fast enough because that was the time. There was, you know, no internet. <gasps> no such thing as internet. And, and so they, the community decided uh, to bury him here. And then ultimately, when the family was able to be contacted and able to arrange shipment of his body parts, they disinterred him and sent him back. But I think it was a few months after the fact. So all they could really send back were were bones and maybe some skin it sounds a little morbid but they couldn't send his whole body back so that's why the grave says his internal organs are still here and the process here is is that also the role of the rabbi then to do the burial um we have a few rabbis here so it depends on which community the person is with uh so a, a rabbi will officiate it's actually interesting while you've been talking i've heard also the bird around here as you as you said april is it's a very peaceful yeah. sanctuary isn't yeah. it we have we have some of those uh the white cockatiels <laughs> and i think that you also know the, the story about the white cockatiels that it was what they belonged to the original ones belonged to what a governor of hong kong or something like this i don't know but i know that they're not uh, native they're to, hong not kong, native to yeah. hong kong so the story i heard was there were two cockatiels they belonged <laughs> to the governor of hong kong at the time of world war ii he set them free and these are the descendants <laughs> two of them live in our cemetery and they're very territorial. I mean, you, you go up to the top level here and they're, they're screaming at you. They're, they're, they're quite fierce. My thanks to Howard Elias and April Kaminsky. Next week, we brave the wrath of the cockatoos to learn about the white Russians who fled the pogroms, the reverend from Kadan Kualand and the tap dancer of Nagasaki. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>